Let me ask you to open up to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Book of Romans and chapter 12. After many weeks focused on Romans 12, verse 9, we are coming to our last message on this verse. And we're looking at the final words of the verse. Romans 12, verse 9, and this command. Hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to what is good. Uh, We've seen that there really is such a thing as good. That good and evil are objective realities. That it is God who determines what is good, not us. All that is good is good because of who God is. To love God is to love what is good. And to love what is good is to love that which describes God. You cannot love God without loving good because God is good. Now, in this context of Romans 12, Paul is teaching us about our life together as a local church. And just as loving one another means abhorring the evil that would seek to do us all harm, so loving one another also means holding fast to that which is good and brings blessing into one another's lives. So last Sunday's sermon was the negative Love one another by hating evil. This Sunday sermon is the positive. Love one another by promoting and embracing and cleaving to all that is good in this church. Paul could not have used stronger words in this verse. We saw last week that the word abhor is a strong emotional word teaching us to hate all evil with an inner intensity, with a revulsion. But this word hold fast is another strong word. I picture one of those um, mountain climbers that they climb the mountain with their bare hands, right? And there, I mean, you have to hold fast. You make sure your grip is is good, that you're not going to lose your grasp. Uh, To be blunt, the word that Paul uses here is a word often used to speak of sexual intimacy. Uh, It's that kind of unity with what you're taking hold of. It's that you take hold of something that is good and you don't let go. You become one with it. You hold on to it against all else in this world. The call here is to cling to what is good, to cleave to what is good, to embrace what is good and never let it go. And this must be from the heart. The idea is that you're going to cling to what is good because you love it. Because it has won your heart. It has won your affection. Jesus is your greatest treasure and all that is good is good because it reflects Jesus to you. And so just as your heart pants for God, just as your heart longs for God, just as your heart delights in God, so you are to pant for and long for and delight in all that is good because it is a reflection of him. Just as you love your Lord Jesus with a love that trumps everything else. 
So you are to love what is good with a love that will not compromise. This is to be a happy love, a joyful love. Your, your hearts have been awakened to know and savor the flavors of goodness. And you never want to turn back to anything else. So this morning, I want to apply this command and these words to us under two headings. Number one, okay, we want to hold fast to what is good. What can we identify as good in our local church to hold on to? What is it that the Bible says in your church, this is good, hold fast to that? And then second, how do we hold fast to these things? How do we hold fast? So number one, what should we identify and hold to as good in our local church? And there are many things, but I'm going to mention three that the Bible seems to elevate. So number one, holding to that which is good means holding fast to truth. To truth. This is why the local church exists. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul says this. He's talking to Timothy, who was serving as pastor in Ephesus. He says, I hope to come to you soon. I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. So in those Three phrases, Paul teaches us, firstly, that the church is God's household. We're a family. Right? God is the father. We're the children. The church is the household of God. Secondly, he reminds us that we are the church of the living God, that there is a God who is active and powerful and at work among us. And then thirdly, Paul describes the church as a pillar, a buttress of the truth. In other words, here's the mission of the church. This is why we exist. Here is God's plan for us. We are to be a pillar. We are to be a buttress of the truth. So picture an ancient Greek building with those mighty pillars stretching up to the sky. And the pillars hold up the roof. They keep it high in the air. So the local church is to take the truths of God and to hold those truths up for the whole world to see. When others are denying the truth, when others are walking all over the truth, ignoring the truth, the local church is to be putting forth the truth of God in all its glory. More than that, we are a buttress, which means we serve as a support for the truth. We are defenders of the truth. We stand for the truth even when others around us will not. We stand for truth because it is truth that saves. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Ephesians 1.13, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So there's no salvation apart from the truths of the gospel. But we have nothing to offer the world if we lose truth. We should close our doors today if we don't hold fast to truth. 
There is no salvation apart from knowing and believing certain fundamental truths. Truths about God, about man, about Christ, about the way of salvation. And it's the Holy Spirit who uses these truths to open eyes and to change hearts. And to raise people from spiritual deadness into spiritual life. And so we as a local church are to be a depository of the truth, protectors of the truth, stewards of these saving truths. It's truth that God uses to transform people. After, even after we're brought to Christ, we continue to be transformed into greater and greater degrees of humility and Christ-likeness and holiness. And God does that through truth. This is why our whole life together as a church is centered around preaching and teaching and discussions of truth. Uh, The truth of God's word is our daily bread that nourishes us and helps us to grow. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. How do we grow? Speaking truth to one another. At the end of the day, whatever else is good in our church, it will spring from the root of truth. Whatever else is worth holding on to in our church, this is where it will come from. Frankly, as long as a local church still has the truth, whatever problems, whatever issues it might face, there is still reason to hope that it will improve. An unfaithful, unhealthy church that still has the truth has everything it needs to recover, to become healthy, to become strong. But if a church loses the truth, it has lost everything. It would do better to close its doors than to keep existing because it will only do harm. We should love and hold fast to the truth because God loves the truth. We're told in 1 Timothy 2 that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What does God desire for all people? That they would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God loves truth so much that it's one of the names of his son. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the greatest good of all. And you only have Jesus when you have truth. So Mount Hermon, let us hold fast to the truth. Second... And this springs from that. We are to hold fast to that which is good, which means holding fast to godly characteristics. Godly characteristics. In other words, anything that describes God as good, we should hold fast to those characteristics, to those attributes as tightly as we can. So you know the chief one, love. Is there love in this room this morning? Are we holding fast to love? Let let this body be forever warmed and energized by love being here. Because our God is a God of love. Down in verse 18 of our chapter, Paul was going to say this. Just sit your eyes down to verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So why? Why? Why should Christians be peacemakers, Paul? Why should we strive for harmony and unity as a body? Answer, because our God is a God of peace. 
There is no conflict in the Godhead. The Father and the Son and the Spirit live in perfect unity and harmony with one another. This is glorious. In a local church, people from all kinds of backgrounds and vocations and interests find themselves brought together by God. Frankly, the opportunities for conflict in a local church are everywhere. But a local church where peace flourishes is a mighty testimony to the power and the grace of God. God has been very gracious to our church in this area, but we must hold fast to peace. Why? Because this is something that describes God himself. It is good. We could choose from a hundred other characteristics to talk about that are good that we should hold fast to. I'll mention one more. Kindness. Think about the kindness of our God. Think about how he looks upon us with compassion. And how he just gives and gives and gives to us. Kindness is an attitude of gentle love in God that expresses itself in his provision for us. God protects us. He's eager to listen to all of our anxieties and our concerns in prayer. God has been growing kindness in this church body. Many of us have seen this in countless ways over the last several years. As God has moved so many of you to to give to the needs of your brothers and sisters. Or to make sacrifices to, to help and assist your brothers and sisters in this room. How many of us have been praying as various members in this room have have walked through different trials and we've brought those before our Savior, interceding for one another? Kindness is an attribute of God. Kindness is good. And we as a church, let's hold fast to that. Hold fast to these characteristics. So we're to hold fast to truth. We're to hold fast to godly characteristics. Then thirdly, Holding fast is what is, to what is good means holding fast to obedience to God's commands. Obedience to God's commands. What is truly good in a church? The kind of faith that works. A love that shows itself in deed and not just in word. Real Christ-likeness is not an abstract idea. It is a life of heartfelt obedience to the commands of God. It is a life of conforming more and more to the revealed will of God. So what is good in this church? Faithful, committed attendance? Active participation as we sing God's truth into one another's ears and Pray together, listen and worship God through paying attention in the sermon as you're doing right now. This is all good. This is obedience to God and we're to hold fast to this. What is good in this church? Teaching the next generation the truths of Christ. Giving generously of what Christ has given to us for the sake of the kingdom. Opening up our homes to one another in hospitality, generosity. The good that we're to hold to is the good of sharing the gospel with lost people. Telling them the stories of our conversion, inviting them to church. The support of missionaries and Bible translators and seminaries. This is all good that we are to hold to. We have deacons who lead the way in concern for the poor and the needy among us. 
helping us have the most effective impact for the gospel in our church and community. Serving one another, praying for politicians, putting good books into each other's hands, offering wise counsel, and a thousand other examples of obedience to God are happening in this church body. And we're to hold fast to each and every one of them. Every sincere act of obedience to God is a good act. And we should long for them to continue and we should long for them to abound. And we should pray that 500 years from now, should the Lord tarry, this church body will still be here. With people attending and singing gospel songs and praying together for one another and supporting missionaries and deaconing and counseling and caring for one another, that all that will still be happening. Think of the strongest superglue you've ever encountered. You ever gotten something, some superglue in your hand and something stuck to it? That's the picture here. That we take all that is good, the truth of God, godly characteristics, obedience to God's word, anything that's good in this church, and we superglue it to this body. We superglue it to our lives and our families. We superglue it to this congregation so that let the devil try, let the world try, let our flesh try. It, it cannot be pulled away. We're cleaving to it. We're, we're holding on like that rock climber. And we're not going to let go of these things. Okay, so those are some examples of holding fast to what is good. So now, how do we do it? How do we hold fast to what is good? I'm sure there are many answers. I'm going to give you five, but we're going to go quickly. Number one, of course, we hold to what is good through prayer. Through prayer. Because if it is true that all good things ultimately come from God and that we only have those good things as long as He wills, then it only would make sense that we go to Him and petition Him to give and keep giving and keep sustaining good things in our church. God alone has the power to superglue us to truth. God alone has the power to make sure that a hundred years from now, this church is still faithful, preaching the gospel of the Bible. God alone has the power to incline the hearts of the next generation towards obedience and continued obedience. The life of faith is a life of prayer. And we need to humbly return to our knees time and time again to ask God's blessing, not just on us as individuals or as families, but on this church and the future of this body. What kind of church will we be a century from now? When all of us in this room may be gone. We live in dependence on God. We, we must not get cocky. We must not take for granted faithful teaching. Or spiritual unity, or the generous acts of service that we've seen abound so much in this church over the last several years. We should praise God for those things, and then we should plead with Him to make them continue. And of course, we also see the good that we're lacking. Uh, we're not a perfect church, are we, Mel Herman? We have lots of lots of areas where we're lacking. Are we asking for God to give us those good things we lack? 
Do you pray, God, we need more zeal in evangelism? Where is our fervor for the lost? Where is our burden for those who are dying and going to hell all around us? We need more boldness and courage in our witness. Do you, do you pray for that? And you say, Father, don't just give us an injection that's going to be temporal. Don't give us a spurt. Give us continued, persistent, lasting burden for the lost. We should plead with God to give us these things and to help us hold fast to them. To cleave to them. Well, second, we hold fast to what is good through our church confession and church covenant. You ever thought about that? Our church confession and our church covenant. Why do we keep our church confession in front of us, working through those articles Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? Why do we regularly, two or three times a year, renew our church covenant together? These documents are practical tools that help us stay anchored to biblical truth and anchored to biblical expectations of godly character. Each and every time we read our confession, each and every time we read our covenant, we're reminding ourselves of what is good. We're reminding ourselves of what we are built on as a church, who we are. So when this church was founded, November 1st, 1903, that's what was done. A confession was put together. A covenant was put together to lay the foundation for the future of the church. The first members of this brand new church at the time agreed to be bound together in unity around that confession of faith and around that covenant of what they expected from one another. And that remains who this church is today. It's really easy for people to say, I believe the Bible. But then you find out what they think the Bible says and teaches. And it's often vastly different from what I understand and what you would understand the Bible to say and teach. Uh, there are many people who have brought into philosophies, who have bought into philosophies that allow them to reinterpret the Bible, to read things into the Bible so that they will say, I believe the Bible while affirming that abortion is allowable, that gay marriage is morally right, that there's more than one way to heaven, that Jesus didn't actually die a substitutionary death on a cross. There are people who deny the most important truths of the Bible while still saying, I believe the Bible. Our confession protects us from that. Because when we say we believe the Bible, our confession reminds us of what we confess the Bible to actually teach. What it actually says. Um, when I'm interviewing somebody to be a member of this church, I always ask the candidate to read through our church confession to make sure that they're willing to submit to it here in our church. I don't expect a brand new Christian to already understand the whole confession, to believe the whole confession, especially if they're new to Christianity. But I do expect them to understand this is what we as a church believe the Bible to teach. This is what we're holding fast to. And we don't want you to come in and start trying to undermine that and teach something different. Uh, last year, we made a change to our church constitution. 
we voted as a church to require future pastors to hold to the 1689 London Baptist Confession. And we did that because that confession goes further and is a bit more detailed than the basic confession we use on Sunday mornings. Uh, That confession is well written and it provides a wonderful summary of Scripture's teaching on many important subjects. And frankly, if we as a congregation will uphold that constitutional requirement, it will help this church always have a faithful preacher in the pulpit. Helping this church to hold fast to what is good. And I I don't know how many of our teenagers or kids will be here 50 years from now. Lord willing, I'm hoping there will still be some of our young ones who are now will be deacons and Sunday school teachers and, and people serving in this church. And I would just say to them, and there's not many of them here this morning, and that makes me sad, but I, I would want to say to them 50 years from now, if you have somebody come and they say, I want to be a pastor at your church, but I don't agree with that confession, don't let them in. <laughs> don't let them preach because maybe they preach really well, because they speak well. Hold fast to these documents because they will help secure the faithfulness of this church when it comes to true doctrine and true practice. I could go on and on about this, but I won't. Um, I'll just read Jude 3. Jude 3. I found it necessary to a right appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What is the faith that has been delivered to us? Our confession and covenant help us know what that faith is and help us pass it along. Our church covenant helps us remember what faithful Christian living looks like. That's why we read it to each other. That's why we make those promises. This is what faithful Christian living looks like. Looks like. In fact, members here, look back over that covenant. Are you are you living it out? The Bible does not teach that all vows are bad. There is a time and place for vows, and your church covenant is a vow. Are you keeping your vow? Are you walking according to that document that you agreed to and you became a member of this of this body? So we have prayer, we have those important documents, confession of faith, covenant. Third, we hold fast to what is good through faithful preaching and teaching. We've already seen that all else that God gives us that is good will be connected to truth. So if truth is coming from this pulpit and the spirit is blessing, then the result will be a firmer grasp of right beliefs, but also right attitudes, right actions, right living Everything in a church begins and ends with what's being said from the pulpit. And it must be protected. Galatians 1, Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Notice Paul says we. He says, if I come back to you two weeks from now, The same Paul, the same one you know and love and I've cared for you and I've taught you. And if I come back two weeks from now and I teach a different gospel than the one that you've received from God, let me be accursed. Have nothing to do with me. 
He says, if a very angel from heaven appears to you in all of its radiance and beauty, so that you find yourself on your face before that angel in awe, and that angel says to you, a different gospel have nothing to do with that angel. Let him be accursed. So if I ever begin preaching or teaching a gospel different from the one clearly laid out in the Bible, Mount Hermon, you must fire me. You must fire me for your own sake and for my sake. You should exercise church discipline towards me. You should call me to repent. Same is true for Pastor Merle. Same is true for every Sunday school teacher, anyone who would take on a responsibility of delivering truth. We must not trifle with false gospels. We must keep preaching and teaching what is right, what is true, what is good, rightly dividing the word of truth. When preaching and teaching is faithful and when the Spirit is blessing because we're praying for God's blessing on the preaching and teaching, great things can happen. Don't just pray for what we do in here in the sanctuary on Sunday. Pray for our Sunday school classes. Pray for our teachers and our adult classes and our youth classes and our children's classes. Pray for those who teach in various ministries. Pray for the devotions that happen in our senior adult fellowships. Pray for the Bible studies and discussions that happen with the teens and in between from time to time. Ask that God would cause light bulbs to come on. Ask that questions would be answered. Ask God that that hearts would be further changed. Let us honor those who teach in our church because they will be held to a stricter account On the day of judgment. Daring to speak in an authoritative way. The word of God is a serious, sobering responsibility. Pray for our teachers. Encourage them. They need your encouragement. Encourage them. I remember teaching doesn't just happen in a church context. But it also happens at home. As parents and and grandparents pour into their kids and grandkids. Teach them the truth. So may God help us to pass on truth through faithful preaching and teaching to the next generation. Number four. Number four. We hold fast to what is good by publicly honoring the good that we see in one another. We can publicly honor the good that we see in one another. Here is a great way. That God works to sustain a culture of godly characteristics and obedience in our church family. God uses encouragement. God uses our words as we publicly honor and praise God for the good we see in one another. Words of affirmation can have a powerful effect. Um, Have you ever noticed the example that the Apostle Paul sets for us in this? In his letter to the church at Philippi, he talks about Epaphroditus. He commends Epaphroditus and how he came to Paul and helped his ministry. And then he says, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Paul commends Timothy and his kindness. And he says to the Philippians, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. 
At the end of this letter, Romans, uh, in Romans 16, Paul was going to commend person after person after person by name, honoring the good in them. He's going to commend Phoebe for the way she supported his ministry. He's going to commend Priscilla and Aquila for the work that the gospel that they have done and for risking their lives for Christ. He's going to speak of a woman named Mary in the church in Rome who he says has worked hard for their sakes. By doing this and by including this in the book of Romans, not only are these particular people encouraged to keep holding fast to the good work that they're doing, but others in the church are encouraged to follow their example. So you see, we benefit from words of encouragement. So this is where I recommend a little book. Um, If being encouraging is difficult for you, or you find yourself too often seeing the negative in others, and not seeing the positive in others, this is from our church library, and you should read it because it's excellent. It's called Practicing Affirmation by Sam Crabtree. It's a wonder, thoroughly biblical, full of scripture book, but also very practical, how to get better at encouraging and affirming the people in my life. A few short quotes to wet your taste buds. He says, God is glorified in us, When we affirm the work he has done and is doing in others. So you want to glorify God? See good in one another and shine a spotlight on it. And say, hey, what I saw that person do, that is good. We honor that. That glorifies God. To fail to commend the character of Christ in people is to fall into the same lackluster indifference of a person who never exclaims what a beautiful morning it is. Therefore, robbing the creator of glory that he deserves for making that sky, that volcano, that character. So you know the person that walks around and they never look up and say, what a beautiful day. They never see the beauty in the trees. They never see the the beauty in the birds flying around. They just, everything's always humdrum. That does not honor God. And it's the same thing when you walk around people every day. And you don't see the good that God has given them by his grace. You don't see how she loves. You don't see how he serves. You don't see how she gives of her time. You don't see how he goes the extra mile to help the people around him. That dishonors God when you don't see his work in them. So we're to have an eagle eye to spot God's grace in one another. And then to affirm it. To honor it. To set it up for all to see. What he's doing, let's all do that. What she's doing, let's all do that. So that we as a church can hold fast to that which is good. When our mouths are empty of praise for others, it is probably because our hearts are full of love for self. Ouch. He says a fire not stoked goes out. A refrigerator unplugged rots the eggs, which were perfectly good not too long ago. A garden not tended erupts with weeds and not vegetables. Affirmation is the fire-stoking, refrigerator-electrifying, garden-tending side of relationships. We can help each other hold to what is good through affirmation, through words of encouragement. And finally, number five. We can hold fast to what is good through the use of spiritual gifts, through the use of spiritual gifts. Um, 
as you use your spiritual gifts, those kinds of service where God has made you strong, you are setting an example for the rest of this body to imitate. We have other spiritual gifts and we may be much weaker in the kind of service that you're good at. But by seeing you use your gift, by watching God bless through your gift, it is an encouragement to us to imitate what we see in you. So if you have the gift of encouragement, for example, then the more you use it, the more it helps all of us get better at learning how to encourage one another, which helps the church grow in the culture of encouragement, which helps us hold fast to that godly characteristic for the future. If your gift is generosity, then the more we see you give sacrificially, the more it encourages all of us to be willing to be looser with the things God has given to us for his sake. And it encourages us to follow your example. And it helps create a culture of generosity in the church, which helps us hold fast to generosity for the future. If your gift is acts of service, then the more we see you step in to meet that need, the more it encourages us. Oh, I should also. Yeah, I need to do that. I need to step in and help meet needs and helps create a culture of stepping in to meet needs, which helps us hold fast to that for the future. So all of us learn to grow in what is good and to keep doing it and to hold fast to what is good as we are impacted by each other's spiritual gifts. And we already preached on spiritual gifts just a few weeks ago, so I won't say more about that now. But just let that be a reminder of how vital it is that we be active in using those in our church. So Mount Hermon, let us hold fast to what is good. Let us do so through prayer. Let us do so through our confession and covenant. Let us do so through faithful preaching and teaching. Let us do so by publicly honoring the good that we see in others. Let us do so by using our spiritual gifts. And in this way, let us love each other as Christ loves us. The genuine, earnest, God-centered love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.